I think uh, you folks up here this morning get the worship award because you had the best line dancing going on. That was fantastic. That was good. Do you notice after that last song, David kept saying, y'all? Something about country songs making me want to go, y'all. How y'all doing today? And we got some visitors from Duluth here. We got some visitors from Seattle. There you go. Welcome. Podrishners. Any Podrishners farther from, than, than Seattle? Okay, guys. The, 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 the traveling award goes to you guys. Congratulations. There you go. Fantastic. So it's good to be back. Uh, I appreciate uh, Shauna and, and Seth uh, doing a great job uh, the last couple of weeks as we started this uh, Twisted Scripture series. Yes, they're fantastic. As I, I've shared before, I've been freed up a little bit for a season to pour into this movement that's arising all over the globe, and it's beautiful. And so a uh, uh, little update on that. Uh, Paul Eddy, who's one of the pastors here, and I, are on the final, 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 final read-through of uh, this book I've been working on for eight years. So this is the final one. And we've already got five chapters done, and there's only 22 more to go. So I thought it's a two, it's a long book, but... Okay, so that, that's good. Uh, got a chance to do some important networking, uh, working with some folks to create uh, an online global map so that organizations and churches and house groups and individuals who, who buy into the, the vision of the kingdom that we're, we're, we're advancing here, uh, Jesus-looking God, raising up a Jesus-looking people, uh, this will allow people to kind of know where other folks are in their area, begin to network together. We're going to have online chat rooms and things like that. We're going to help resource these groups and start churches out of them and things like that. Uh, it'll probably be a year before it's up and running, but it's going to be awesome. I think it will really help transition this very uh, loosely defined amorphic thing that's out there now and make it more of an identifiable movement. Uh, so that's one of the things I was doing. I also had a chance to network with some other individuals, uh, do some mentoring, pouring into some of the younger uh, kingdom revolutionaries. Had a talk just the other day with this guy in, in Seattle. Oh, wait, I said Seattle again. It's from Portland. I always get Portland and Seattle mixed up. Why is that? Uh, or yes, okay, I got to think about that. Okay, Portland, Oregon. Anyways, he's in Seattle. You guys aren't. But uh, um, uh, Kurt Willem, and he, he's starting, the, he's going to plant a church. He's already started a core group uh, in the uh, a Ballad neighborhood. Um, and it's called Pangea Communities, and he's just an awesome kingdom guy. And we had, t- had a lot of good talk about theology and stuff like that. So, Padrishners, if you're from the Seattle area, and even more from the Ballad neighborhood, think about, uh, look, look up this Pangea Communities. It's going to be an awesome kingdom community. And they already have a core group forming, so get in on that. All right, so that's some of the stuff I've been doing. We are in this series here, Twisted Scripture, where we look at, at, at things that we think have been misapplied, uh, or misinterpreted and things like that. We always respect people who see it differently, but we just kind of say, here's where we stand on this. Um, and today, the team that helps kind of shape the sermons around here thought it'd be good for me to address baptism. Uh, for two reasons. One is that that's one of the disputed areas in Scripture, and we need to kind of show where we stand on it. The other thing is that this will be a, a sort of a preparation, an advertisement, sort of of uh, this... We're going to be having a, a, a church-wide baptism on July 26th at Lake Phelan. And we have three classes that are going to be offered uh, leading up to it that we ask people to take, all three of the classes, uh, uh, to, to be baptized. So I want you to be considering that if you've never been baptized as an adult. Be thinking about that, praying about that. And so I'll say more about that at the end of this message. But uh, that's sort of the reason why we're uh, addressing this topic now. I'll, I'll first talk about two controversial issues uh, and then I'll get to the meaning and significance of baptism. And we're entitling this message, Underwater Wedding, for reasons that I hope will become clear here in a little bit. We pray with me here for a moment? 
Father, I thank you for being present in this place. I sense your spirit. And we ask, God, that you infuse these words with your authority. Uh, let the word be instructive and constructive. And, uh, uh, Lord, use it to accomplish whatever you see needs to be done, whether it's, it's to convict us or to encourage us, uh, to remind us, whatever it is, Lord, uh, we relinquish it to you. Uh, just flow in this place. We pray, God, for all the parishioners that will be watching this. Uh, bless them, whatever they're doing right now. Just surround them with your spirit and open their minds and hearts. Let your word go forth in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. 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 I want to read from Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. Peter's preaching to this crowd on the day of Pentecost. And some of them get convicted. And they go, what must we do to be saved? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Two issues arise from this passage. First, uh, what does Peter mean when he says, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Is he saying that baptism is the way you get your sins forgiven? If he's saying that, then he's apparently saying that if you're not baptized, your sins aren't forgiven. There's been plenty of people throughout history who have believed that, and still to this day. I had a lady a number of years ago come to the church. She was just visiting this Sunday, uh, but she had a, a question she wanted to ask me. She was in a real emotionally distraught state, and it was understandable, because her daughter had that week given birth to a little baby, and tragically this baby, and they knew this before the birth, but this baby was very deformed and had... Uh, hopeless medical complications, and in fact, the baby only survived for about an hour. Um, it was tragic. And this lady's issue was not just the sorrow of having lost her granddaughter, but the fact that her daughter didn't baptize the baby. And she had been taught that that means the baby isn't going to heaven. The baby goes to hell. Um, I, I, this, this teaching goes back to in my opinion, like most things that have been misconstrued in history, that goes back to St. Augustine, God bless him. Uh, but see, he was the one who first came up with this idea of original sin in the, in the 5th century. Original sin, I'm sure some of you have been taught this, um, that says that you're born guilty. You're, you're born tainted with Adam's sin. And he believed in the basis of this passage that that sin isn't forgiven unless you're baptized. And so that's when baptizing babies became really prevalent. And the thought was that if you're not, if the baby isn't baptized, the baby's lost. I remember being taught this in second grade. Uh, I went to Catholic school, and um, when the nun gave this instruction you know, about, about what, what, what baptism meant, I asked the question, I said, well, what then happens to all the babies who aren't baptized? And she says, they don't go to heaven, they go to hell. And I, and she explained, it wasn't the, it wasn't the lowest level of hell, in fact, it's the highest level. Uh, and she called it limbo. I don't know if, if Catholics still identify it as limbo, but she says that they're, they're in, in limbo. But I said, so they're not in heaven? with her parents and she said no they can never they can never be with their parents i got so mad i, I was I, my heart broke it's picture these kids looking at in on heaven from limbo and they can see their parents but they can't ever get to them and i my heart just broke it's like where's the justice in that i just got really angry i was theologically disturbed even back then so uh yeah it, it, it just here's the thing it's always and i say this a lot around here but the first question to always ask when you're considering any theological position is to ask, what picture of God does it presuppose? Because, see, Jesus is the full revelation of God, 
In fact, Jesus on the cross reveals exactly what God is like. The New Testament tells us that this is the definitive revelation of God. And so everything we believe should be consistent with that. And so what, what, what picture of God is presupposing this belief? I, for one, can't reconcile a God who would send a little baby to hell for eternity for being born for one hour. I can't reconcile that picture of God with the God who gave his life for everybody on the cross. Uh, the two just don't compute. In fact, there's a scene in the Gospels where, where Jesus is, is uh, uh, teaching and, and some kids want to get to him. And the disciples say, no, you can't get, get to Jesus. He's too important for, for little kids. And Jesus rebukes the disciples and says, let the kids come to me. And he loves kids. I just picture Jesus, you know, sitting down and the kids crawling on him and pulling his beard and drooling on him and everything. But he's laughing. He, he creates these kids. He loves these kids. He gave his life for these kids. He's not going to damn one of them to hell because, because of a technicality. Uh, so always ask, what picture of God is, is presupposed in this? The other thing is that I, I don't see anything in Scripture that warrants the, the, the idea that you're born guilty. It's true that we're born in a fallen race. That's true. And it's true that we're born jaded. All of us, we're, never, we're not born in the kind of situation that we would have been if the world wasn't fallen. We all have emotional and, and sometimes physical and certainly spiritual things that are off with us. That's true, but Scripture teaches that you're only guilty for what you could have done otherwise. You're only guilty for crimes that you commit. It says this in Ezekiel. He says that uh, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor the parent share the guilt of the child. The, righteous, the righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So you're only held responsible for what you do, for what you could have done otherwise. Uh, for something that was out of your control, how can you possibly be responsible for that? Like, like, like being born, uh, or having curly hair, or whatever. It, it, you, that's just, you're born with that, you're not guilty for that. Only for things that you could have done otherwise. So then what does this mean when Peter says, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? What does that mean? Uh, one thing is this. It's, it, it's always important to put every verse in the context of the whole Bible. And what you find throughout the whole Bible is that God forgives freely. Throughout the whole Bible, he, he forgives people just when they ask for it. When they turn from whatever they need to be forgiven of and ask him for forgiveness. And the word for turning there is repent. When they repent, forgiveness is given to them. You find that throughout the whole Bible. In fact, in the very next chapter, uh, after Peter preached his sermon in Acts 2, we find him talking to a crowd in, in uh, chapter 3. And uh, he says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. It's turning to God that wipes out your sins. He doesn't mention baptism. In fact, this is the only verse where baptism is associated with forgiveness of sins. And it's just not good exegesis to overturn an entire biblical motif that runs throughout the whole Bible to turn it all on its head with one verse. Uh, you need to take a closer look at the verse if, if you find yourself in that position. So what does this passage mean? Uh, here's the thing. The word for for, when he says for the forgiveness of your sins, is the Greek word ace. E-I-S. Everyone say ace. ace. See, you learn Greek when you hang around here. It's, it's, it's no extra cost either. So it, it, the word for is ace. Now, you know, to understand the meaning of any word, you need to put it in its cultural context. How, how is the word used? And we find that at this time, the word ace is used in a variety of ways, only one of which means to bring something about, to cause something. And that wasn't even its primary use. The main way that it's used, when people would speak about doing something for something else, dedicating a temple for Yahweh or something like that, it means in light of. 
in light of. And so what Peter is saying here is, he's saying, be baptized in light of the forgiveness of sins that is offered us in Jesus Christ. Be baptized. The meaning of baptism is about the forgiveness of sins, but it doesn't cause the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't bring it about. God does that. Uh, baptism is, is, it simply signifies that, as I'll say a little bit more on, a little bit later on. So it, it doesn't mean that people who aren't baptized are lost. Second issue is this, in this passage. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, the first church I came to Christ in was this rather unusual church. Um, and we made a big, big, big deal out of this. Because we thought that was the baptismal formula. And we thought baptism was for the forgiveness of sins. So if you weren't baptized in Jesus' name, then you were lost. Now, virtually every other Christian outside of this little group baptizes in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because that's what Jesus teaches at the end of his ministry in Matthew 28. Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, but see, we didn't believe in the Trinity in this weird church that I came to Christ in. Um, we, we, we thought that Jesus was the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we thought it was Jesus. He was referring to himself there. Now, things got a little strange when the Father talks to Jesus from heaven, because Jesus, I mean, Jesus was being a ventriloquist. This is my son, who will please? Oh, thanks, Dad. You're a son, no, no problem. Uh, and we wouldn't even explain it like that. But the, the, that's not my issue right now. Uh, it, it, in Jesus' name, it was so important. If that formula isn't set over you, then you're lost. Now, you always have to ask the question, what picture of God is presupposed in this? I, I Even when I, for a short while, believed this, I had trouble with it because I had this picture in my mind of, I mean, here's Joe Smo, and, 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 and he believes in Jesus and loves Jesus, and, and here's Jesus, and Jesus loves Joe and died for Joe. And then Joe dies and meets Jesus on the judgment day. And Jesus says, Joe, I love you, and I know you love me, but I'm sorry you got to go to hell because there's this, this technicality. Uh, the, the, the right words weren't said over you when you're baptized. It's like, oh, shoot. Uh, they were sincere, but they got it wrong, and I really need that formula. you got to say, in Jesus' name, when you go down. Uh, it, it just doesn't compute. I remember the time when I finally decided I couldn't believe this. I was working as an orderly in a nursing home, and there was this wonderful Catholic lady there. who She was always praying. She said the rosary over and over again, and, and I just loved her. Her name was Josephine, and, and I'd spend any extra time I had just kind of talking with her, and we talked about God and stuff like that. But I thought... You know, I know that she was not baptized in Jesus' name, and I, I can't imagine God rejecting this, this lady whose devotion puts mine to shame. I, I at one point was thinking I, 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 I need to share with her the right way to get baptized, but I couldn't even bring myself to do it because it seems so silly given this lady's piety. Um, and so the picture of God damning someone on a technicality just doesn't compute with the picture of God that's, that's given us in Jesus Christ. The other thing is that uh, again, you have to put every word, every phrase in its cultural context and ask, what did it mean at the time? And we find at the time, both in Judaism and in Christianity, this phrase, in the name of, was not a formula. It, it, um, uh, it meant more something along the lines of in the, under the authority of, like when we say stop in the name of the law. In the name of just men, in, 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 under the authority of, of, of someone. And uh, the Jews and Christians would say in the name of, and then sometimes list a number of things. So it wasn't meant to be a particular formula. In fact, Paul says this in Colossians 3. He says, everything you do, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of uh, the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if, 
as I used to believe when I first became a Christian, this was a formula that you had to say, and salvation hung on it. This passage would be commanding us to be saying that formula before every word we speak and every deed we ever did, which could get kind of complicated. I mean, we develop a church of, of, of you know, folks who just have OCD on steroids. You know, in the name of Jesus, I take off my glasses. In the name of Jesus, I scratch my head. In the name of Jesus, I sit down. In the name of Jesus, I stand up. In the name of Jesus, I take a bath. In the name of Jesus, I go to the bathroom. In the name of Jesus, I drive my car. And then I go jogging. Oh, I forgot to say in the name of Jesus. Oh, no. You know, it's, it's like Simon Says or something, and, and you screw up one time and then you're lost. I doubt that's what Paul was getting at. So don't feel the need to say in the name of Jesus before you do everything. That could get really irritating. Um, Paul, Paul is saying is whatever you do, do it all under the authority of Jesus. Let everything you do be part of the kingdom of God, the reign of God. Always stay under his authority. Okay, those are the two, first two minor uh, issues I wanted to address. Now let's talk about the meaning and the importance of baptism. Because see, here's what happens sometimes. Folks get that uh, baptism doesn't magically save you. It doesn't magically wash away your sins. Your relationship with God does that. They get that. But some then say, well, if it's not necessary for salvation, it must not be very important at all. It, it's sort of an optional thing. It maybe has some symbolic you know, significance, but there's no urgency to it. And what I want us to see this morning is that that's not at all the case. It's not a saving thing. Uh, it's not a magical thing, but it is something that's very, very important. Now, to see why it's important, you have to understand it in terms of covenant, because covenant is the main category in which everything in the Bible takes place. What you find is that whenever God enters into a covenant with people, a new covenant, there's a ceremony that goes along with it. And that ceremony wasn't just a nice party to celebrate the covenant. That ceremony was part of the covenant. The ceremony inaugurated the covenant. Uh, it, it marked the time of the commitment of the covenant, uh, and it served as a permanent reminder about the nature of the covenant. It was very, very important. It wasn't considered, uh, considered optional. Uh, the clearest example of this is a wedding. Uh, in, in the Bible, the, the wedding inaugurates the couple into the new reality of their one flesh union. It begins with the wedding. And the wedding then uh, uh, is a reminder about the, the, the nature of the covenant, the commitments that you make. And it serves to mark out the time when that commitment was made. Inaugurates the reality, marks out the time of the commitment, and serves as a reminder of the nature of, 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 of the covenant. So Shelly and I are coming upon our 36-year anniversary. 36 blissful years. I know, she's a very lucky lady. What can I say? You know, so, so we were talking about this the other night with our friends. Sitting around, we got talking about our marriages and anniversaries and you know, all that kind of thing. And... Uh, uh, we, we, we started asking the question, if we could go back uh, to our wedding day, what we tell ourselves? And thankfully, no one said, bail now! No one said that. Uh, what we're saying, we're realizing how when we made these commitments, we, uh, Sally and I, I was 22, she was 21, we didn't know squat. Uh, you, know, you make these commitments and you really don't know what you're signing up for. You have an idea, you're signing your life away. But only... <laughs> that sounds romantic, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, okay, <laughs> back, back to it. So here's the thing, you grow into the reality of it. We were talking about how, for some of us at least, you know, we might not be married if it wasn't for that commitment we made. We, before God and witnesses, we took these vows, and, and through tough times, you just go back to that and lean on that and plow through it. Sometimes you have to, it's plow mode. Other times it's bliss mode. But once in a while, you hit the bumpy road. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And it's sheer commitment. That, 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 that keeps you going forward. You, know, you say, for better or for worse. So the, 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 the 
vows we took um, remind us, they're a reminder of the nature of this covenant, that it's a lifelong commitment. And, and it's that commitment that grows you into the reality of, of, of learning what it means when you say, I do. Learning what it means when you pledge your life to somebody. You grow into the depth of that, and your love grows accordingly. So the wedding, it, it, it begins the, the, the covenant. It, it inaugurates the reality of the, the one flesh union. Uh, it, it, it marks the time of the commitment and serves as a permanent reminder. And that's what baptism is intended to do in the New Testament. It is our wedding to Jesus. Salvation is just a marriage relationship with Christ. That, that's what salvation is. And it begins from a New Testament perspective with the wedding day. And so it's no more optional than a wedding is optional for a marriage. This is why you find throughout the New Testament that um, it's considered very important. It's never a mere suggestion. On the day of Pentecost, we just saw this passage, Acts 2. Peter says, when they ask, what shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. He gives a command. Uh, and what he's saying there is this. Since, since salvation is our marriage to God through Jesus Christ, what Peter's saying is, if you want to get saved, well, then you've got to get married. So turn, that's what the word repent means, turn from living as a single person and start living as a married person. Get married. Have a wedding. Uh, he says the same thing in Acts chapter 10. He's, he's preaching to these Gentiles. And... Um, as he's preaching to these Gentiles, God pours out their, his spirit on them in an undeniable way. And then Peter says this, and he's surprised. He, you know, he, he's a first century Jew, and he didn't think Gentiles could be saved, but man, he can't deny that the spirit of God was poured on him. So he says, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Who would have thunk? So he ordered that they be baptized in, in the name of Jesus Christ. In the authority of Jesus, he commands them to be baptized. The word there, protasso, it's an authoritative command. It wasn't a mere suggestion when you get around to it, whatever. No, he says, look at, they, these Gentiles clearly trust in Jesus, and God clearly is saving them. He's pouring out a spirit on them. So there's a relationship there, and if there's a relationship there, well, they've got to get married. So he commands them to have the wedding festival. Uh, he commands them to be baptized. You can really see this marriage quality to baptism, uh, inaugurating the new covenant and marking the time of the commitment and reminding people of the nature of the covenant. You really see this clearly in, in uh, Romans 6. Now, to set the context for Romans 6, you've got to know this. In Romans 5, Paul's talking about grace. Grace, grace, all over the place. At one point he says, where sin increases, grace increases even more. Where sin did abound, grace abounded much more when, when translation has. Now, here's the thing. That's a beautiful reality. Your sin can never outrun God's grace. Hallelujah. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how, how screwed up you've been. I don't care who, who you've hurt. I, 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 however, you can't put back a scrambled eggs and your life is scrambled eggs. However messed up it is, however sinful it is, it's no match for God's grace. Yeah, you, you can't stand up to that. God's grace will always... Be more than that. Now, what some can think, both in the past and the present, is this. Oh, I like that. Because I'll tell you what, I'll do God a favor. I'll glorify God so His grace can really increase. Um, you know, I'll just keep increasing sin. I'm glorifying God by increasing my sin because now He's got to increase His grace. What a deal! I love this arrangement. And so you say, you're glorifying God as you're whatever you're going to do. Uh, so people sometimes think like that. And they're mistaken. So Paul has to address this idea. So in, in verse 1 of Romans 6, he says, Well, what shall we say then? 
Shall we uh, go on sinning so that grace may increase? I know that's what some of you are thinking. And then he says, by no means. Megeneto uh, in Greek, it's even stronger than that. It's really like, like never, never think that. That's insane thinking. Let it never be. Megeneto. And then, to show them why they're wrong, he appeals to their baptism. So here's what he says. Powerful passage here. He says, uh, We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know, did you forget, did you forget who you are? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, his death for sin? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised up from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And then at the end of this passage, he says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here's what Paul's doing. He goes, okay, you people who think you should sin that grace may increase. Here's the thing. You used to have an old self, an old nature for whom sinning came naturally. That used to be true. But that self died. Uh, in case you need a reminder, remember your baptism. When you went down into the water, you were united with Christ's death. You're saying, that death is my death. It is now, that old self was crucified 2,000 years ago uh, because you, you're, to be married to Jesus is to be married to the whole Jesus and that includes his death for sin. So that old self is now dead. And when you came up out of the water, let, let the baptism remind you, when, when you came up out of the water, uh, you were identifying with Jesus' resurrection. That's the new you. That's the true you. That's who you really are. And so, so it's, since you seem to have forgotten this, uh, go back to the baptism and let it remind you of the nature of the kind of covenant that you're in. Things have really changed, completely changed. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. You're sharing in the resurrected life of, of Jesus. And while it used to be the case that sin came naturally to you, now sin is dead to you. What comes naturally to you is living a new life. Now, as we're hearing this and as they're hearing this, some of us are thinking, gosh, that doesn't seem true. Uh, sin doesn't seem dead to me. It seems quite alive and well, unfortunately. Um, and I don't seem like I'm re- living a resurrected life. Uh, it doesn't seem that way. And so this is why Paul says, consider yourselves. Listen, follow this now. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin. He uses the Greek word logizomai. Everyone say logizomai. Man, are you learning a lot of Greek this morning. And logizomai means to reflect on yourself, to see yourself. And so Paul is saying this. That is what's true about you. Now, I know it doesn't seem that way, but that's because... You're brain damaged. Your thinking hasn't caught up to reality. You're not seeing yourself as you really are. So, I, so take every thought captive to Christ, he says in, in 2 Corinthians 10. In fact, this is the main act of discipleship. Train your brain to not be insane. Train your brain to think truth. To train your brain to, to, to line up with reality. Uh, bring every thought captive to Christ. You're dead to sin, so think and speak and, and, and see yourself as dead to sin. And you're alive to God in Christ, so think and speak and see yourself as alive to God in Christ. Be transformed. Uh, it, it's, to start living that reality, you know what it's like? It's a little bit like this. It's, it's like uh, I, I saw on this uh, one show a, a person who had their leg blown off be interviewed, and this person said, that they still sometimes forget that they don't have a leg. When they wake up in the morning, sometimes they have, they have leg pain. And it, 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 they'll go to reach for it, and there's nothing there. They've got to be reminded that they don't have a leg. Well, see, th- this is kind of the situation we're in. We're dead to sin. If you're surrendered to Jesus, uh, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, you're dead to sin. Hallelujah. Uh, but we forget that. 
And we keep thinking that we're not dead to sin and we keep empowering sin. See, the pain of sin, the pain of temptation is simply a phantom pain. It's a phantom pain because you're dead. And last I checked, dead people can't experience anything. Dead people are unresponsive to everything. Sin is to you what a corpse is to everything. <laughs> Nothing. It, 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 it has no power on you. But when we forget that, we give it power. And we give it reality. Just check. There's no leg there. You don't have to worry about it. You're dead. And so, so it being dead, sin has no power over you. Uh, and we just got to get our lives and minds to land for that. Baptism serves as a reminder of this. Or it's a little bit like this. A guy I had to talk to one time a couple of years ago. Uh, he got married. But he seemed to forget that now and then. In fact, almost all the time. Uh, he kept on living like he was a single guy. And he would just go out whenever he wanted to go out with the guys and wouldn't bother to check in and didn't help out with the house chores or anything else like that and did things that his wife didn't approve of and he just didn't care. Uh, but he, he was married. Now I had to sit down and talk to this guy. I said, hey, dude, dude, uh, I don't know if you forgot this, but you did get married. Uh, and you took some vows, and they were that you pledged your life to your wife. And see, that began a new reality, a new covenant. You're now one flesh with your wife. You're not your own. You belong to her, and she belongs to you. You're like one person now. So you have to consider her perspective on things, her feelings about things. You have to stop thinking like a me and start thinking like a we. And that's not an easy transition to make sometimes, but it's not a me thing. It's a we thing. So put to death the me and start living like the we because the reality is from God's perspective, you are a we. Get your mind to line up with the reality and then get your behavior and feelings to line up with the reality. And that's the discipleship of marriage and this is the discipleship of the church. This reminder aspect uh, or, uh, uh, of, of baptism. This uh, reminder aspect of baptism is, is a little bit like this. I sometimes use this analogy. Um, it's like it, it, baptism is like a tombstone to the old self and a birth certificate to the new self. It's a tombstone to the old self and a birth certificate to the new self. Now, a tombstone doesn't kill you. Well, theoretically, I guess it could, but usually it's, it's not a tombstone falling from the sky or something. Or trip and hit your head on a tombstone. That would be ironic. But uh, uh, yeah, tombstones don't usually kill you, but if you're dead, you ought to have a tombstone. And, and birth certificates aren't what give you birth, but if you're birthed and, and are human, you ought to have a birth certificate. You see? And then, follow me on this one. This is a stretch. So I'm warning you ahead of time. But let's say, this could never happen, of course, but let's just say that um, one night you wake up and there's your deceased mother at the foot of your bed. She's been dead 23 years, but here she is standing right in front of you. Uh, and and the suppose that your deceased mother forgot she died and she's really frustrated because no one even sees her anymore. No one even talks to her. She's really m- miserable because she doesn't realize that she's dead. You could do your deceased mother a real big favor by taking her to the graveyard and saying, Mom, look, there's your name. Here's your dates. You're dead. Did you forget? Look at the tombstone. Remind yourself, you're dead. So maybe it's time to move on <laughs> and stop you know, being mad that people can't see you. Of course they can't see you because you're not here. See, I told you it'd be a stretch. Or... Consider this, suppose you have a friend who bumps their head or gets dementia or something and, and, and they, they, they forgot that they were born. Um, they, they think they're a ghost that has never been born and they're miserable because they want to be a human. They just want to be born, but they think they're a ghost. Uh, you could really do that person a favor by getting out their birth certificate and say, Hey, Charlie, you exist, you're real, you're a human being, here it is right here. And then you go, oh, wow, you're right. That's what bapti- That's kind of like what baptism is. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Long stretch. 
All right. Tombstone, birth certificate. You get the point that, that I'm, I'm trying to, to make here. All right. Uh, so consider ourselves the way we are, uh, the way, the way that the, of the covenant of the baptism. That's, that's forged with baptism. It, it inaugurates the covenant. It is the, uh, t- marks the time of the covenant, the commitment, and is a permanent reminder of the covenant. That's what baptism is. And it's not optional. It is to Christian life what a wedding is to marriage. And it's very, very important. Now, let me end by talking about two uh, other controversial issues. Uh, there's a long-standing debate about whether you should baptize infants or adults. Uh, or children or kids who are at least old enough to know, uh, you know to make the decision for themselves. Long-standing debate. Uh, we deeply respect those who have differences of opinion, who read Scripture differently, and we know God knows their heart and all that. But we call the shots as we see them, and we stand in line with the Anabaptist tradition that only baptizes people who are old enough to make a decision uh, for or against it. Uh, it it's, it's part of, of their discipleship. Part of the reason for that, in fact, the most fundamental reason for that is once you understand the nature of baptism as a covenant, as a wedding, well, then it can only be entered into by people who are old enough to make that decision for themselves. And from our perspective, this is what we find throughout Scripture. For example, in Matthew 28, uh, at the very end, I referred to this earlier, Jesus, just before he ascends into heaven, he he tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he was not referring to himself by those things. Uh, And then he says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, here, baptism, you see, is part of discipleship. Make disciples, and then you're going to baptize those disciples. In fact, baptism in the New Testament is really the first act of discipleship. So they're old enough to be made disciples of. And then he says, teach them, the ones you've baptized, to obey all things. And so our conviction is that, that baptism should be reserved for those who are old enough to understand and choose to obey all the things that Jesus has taught. The second thing uh, is, is, the second uh, disputed area is this. People, oh, I, I want to say this before I move on. Uh, in our view, infant baptism is, is, is a little bit like a, an arranged marriage. In, in most cultures throughout history, um, marriages have been arranged. The parents will, and a whole community sometimes will, take the child and, and they pledge them to another family or another tribe. And it's arranged. Uh, and, and that's a beautiful thing. It's an important thing. Um, for them to come together and pledge their, their child to, to Christ. Uh, so much so that we, we, that's why we have baby dedications around here. Every other month or so, we have a time for the parents, along with the church, to come and dedicate these children to the Lord. So it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But see, even in those cultures that have arranged marriages, um, there comes a, the wedding, the marriage doesn't start till the wedding. That's when it actually begins. And that's when the couple that were pledged when they were children, that's when the couple now chooses it for themselves. They own the pledge for their own. You see? And so we encourage folks who've been baptized as infants to kind of see it this way. Um, that uh, your parents did a great thing, your church did a great thing in pledging you to Christ, but now own it for yourself. And have the wedding that the New Testament commands. And some people are afraid, hesitant, because they think that that's invalidating what their parents did. Or what their old church did. Uh, by getting uh, baptized as an adult. But I, I see it the exact opposite. I think you're affirming what they did. You're saying, yes, thank you for doing that. And now I'll own it for myself. And so it's an affirmation of what was done to you as a child. The second uh, area, issue that is uh, often disputed is, is this. Uh, there's a... Long-standing debate about whether uh, baptism should be done by sprinkling of water or by immersion in water. 
And here again, we deeply respect folks who disagree with us and see things differently. But you've got to call the shots as you see them. And from our perspective, baptism should be done by immersion. And here's why. Uh, three things, really quick. The first thing is this. The word baptism, the root of it is the word bapto. One more final Greek word to learn. Everyone say bapto. Bapto. And bapto literally means to dip, dunk, or submerge. In fact, it's used all over the place in ways that don't refer to baptism, and it's always translated as to dip or to dunk, something like that. So, for example, in in John 13, uh, Jesus is referring to the one who's going to betray him, and he says this, It is the one to whom I give the piece of bread when I have dipped, bapto, when I have dipped it in the dish. Uh, the dip, then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who's going to betray him. Uh, no, no, Jesus didn't sprinkle the wine on the bread. He dipped the bread into the, the, the wine. Um, and that's just what the word means. So when, when Peter says, repent and be baptized, he's really saying, repent and get dunked, get dipped, get submerged. And when Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, ba- baptizing them, he's saying, make disciples of all nations, dunking them. Um, the second thing is this. Uh, the, 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 the imagery that Paul uses in Romans 6, we saw this earlier, is about being buried and raised, right? And th- this is why he can appeal to baptism as a reminder of the nature of the covenant. You were buried with Christ, you were raised with Christ. And in our view, that, that signifies being buried in water and being raised out of water. That's why the, the, the water is signif- symbolically significant because it, it mirrors the reality of what happens to us when we're united with Christ. And then the third thing. Third thing is this, is as we read scripture, we find a number of things that confirm that, um, that is done by immersion. So for example, here's one of them. Uh, in, in John 3, we find John the Baptist uh, doing baptisms. And it says that he was baptizing at Enon near Salem. Why there? Because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. So the question is this, why would John need plenty of water? Um, everybody in those days, and today, it's a very arid, hot region, and so everyone, you go anywhere, you've got a flask of water. And uh, if he was sprinkling, then the f- a flask of water would have sufficed, because everyone has that. And, in fact, they wouldn't have to come out to him, travel that distance. He could have gone all, all, all over the place and just, you know, uh, baptize them, sprinkled them. The fact that he had to be located at, towards a, by a large body of water uh, suggests, I submit to you, suggests that it's because he needed a lot of water because it had to be deep enough to submerge people in because that's what the meaning of it was all about. So here's the thing, folks. We're going to have a church-wide wedding service on July 26th. Uh, mark your calendars. This is always a really special time at Woodland Hills Church. At Lake Phelan, after the second service, uh, we're going to have ourselves a wedding ceremony. And uh, we uh, encourage you, if you've never been baptized as an adult, um, consider this, perfectly consider this. Uh, being a part of this wedding ceremony. It will be beautiful. Uh, you may have had a relationship for years and years and years, but now's the time to get yourself a wedding. Mm, it's going to be a party. And then um, here's the thing. We at in the leadership of Wilderness Church has really come to take this seriously. And we never marry people to other humans, uh, to, to a spouse, until they've gone through a pre-marriage uh, class. You, you need to kind of know what you're signing up for. And so we have pre-marriage counseling that, that, that we do before anyone at Woodland Hills marries somebody. Well, we thought, why do we take this marriage, any, any, this wedding, any less serious? Uh, and so we're uh, asking the candidates who want to be baptized to take a, a, a three-week course. And it'll be held on July 12th, 19th, and 26th. 
Um, now, if you can't make one of those dates, it's fine. We're going to record them, and we'll make them available on DVDs. But we just want to know that you understand what you're doing when you say, I do to Jesus, and you go through this wedding ceremony. And so it'll be just kind of what marriage to Jesus looks like in our life. Uh, so mark down those dates and mark the 26th, whether you've already been baptized or not. And um, uh, make a, if, you, if at all possible, make it to that. Uh, if, you're, if you want to sign up for this, you can do that right out at the hub. Just go out there and tell them, yeah, I want, to be, I, 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 I want a wedding service. And uh, no, don't do that because what if someone actually does want a wedding service? Then they, they'll get, just tell them you want to get baptized. And uh, they'll, 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 they'll set you up and you'll, you're good to go. Praise God. What a God we serve, folks, that he wants to marry us. Isn't that beautiful? He, wants, he doesn't want a, a long-distance relationship, doesn't want to just have a, an acquaintance relationship, you know, and occasionally. He wants to marry us. He wants to become one with us. He has become one with us. And he invites us in on that. Praise God. And, and as part of that, we marry the whole him and he marries the whole us, the good, bad, and ugly. Praise God. But that old self is put to death and we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Everyone say amen. 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 Praise God. Would you stand up? I'll close in prayer. I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come forward. And if you're here this morning and of any need that could use uh, prayer, come on up here and pray with these folks. They'd love to serve you. Uh, if you want to become a disciple of Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him. Well, this is the morning to do it. Come up here and tell these folks that, and, and they'll help you get started in your, in your walk with God. So, Father, thank you for making us your bride, your corporate bride. Thank you, Lord, for uh, dressing us out in, in a beautiful garment. We know, God, that we put mud on that garment all the time. We fall and scrape our knees. We get blood on that garment. We, 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 we don't always live and look like and think like the spotless bride of Christ. But, Lord, don't give up on us. Thank you. We know that you won't give up on us. Continue your work, Lord God, to help us live out our identity. Dead to sin in Christ, but alive in the resurrection power of Christ. And so with that power, I send us out to love on the world in Jesus' name. And all God's people said one more time. Amen. God bless you, bride of Christ. Go out loving the world.